Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Today we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. In 1030, you got to do a little better than 830. They, 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 they didn't give me no help. They, you know, I, I was up here by myself in the first service. So, pull with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Meet us today. We didn't come here to be entertained. We didn't come here just because we like some people here, God. We came because we were hungry for you. We came because we needed to learn something from your word. Father, we want to be enlarged. We want to be stretched. Most importantly, we want to leave here changed. And we give you the honor for what you accomplished in this meeting this morning. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. The children of Israel had wandered around for about 40 years now and Moses was preparing for their final advance or march into the promised land. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died. Not our Miriam, but the Miriam of the Bible. (laughs) Died there and was buried there. Miriam had kind of become the first lady of the, the nation there. She was, the Bible actually calls her, a prophet. Uh, the King James Version says prophetess, but there's really no gender to the office. And Scripture called her a prophet. And this lets us know that from time immemorial, God always had a place for women in ministry. This whole message today is, is really pregnant with transition because the children of Israel, things were shifting and, and, and change was, was, was in the air. And Miriam had just passed. In about four months, Aaron is also going to pass, and just shortly thereafter, Moses, too, would go on to, to be with the Lord. So this is an important period in Israel's history. Verse 2, now there was no water for the congregation. They faced the crisis. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. The Exodus generation had passed away. But, you know, this, this new generation complained and shifted blame just as well as their mom and dads. And, and, and you know, it's pretty much the same old thing here. And in verse 3 it says, And the people contended with Moses. This was not just some minor incident here. These new young leaders were willing to topple Moses if he would let them. And they spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. So you see there's a problem in morale here. When you're about to advance, when morale hits this level, you know you're you're in trouble. The the, the nation and the leaders in particular are full of self-pity and defeatism. And you you know something I've learned in life, gratitude and victimization cannot occupy the same space. They just can't. When you're thankful, it's really difficult to be depressed. And sometimes the reason we are depressed is because we haven't taken time to give thanks. 
I know a lot of folks think we just worship, you know, because that's just what churches do. We just sing these songs because church people sing songs. But one of the reasons we sing is to get ourselves off our minds. Because when I begin to focus on his goodness, I stop thinking about what I need, what I want, and my disappointments. And when I start thanking him, the psalmist says, actually, we magnify the Lord. How many of you know you can't make God any bigger? But what he's talking about is what we have to do on the inside. Sometimes our problems loom so large, but I, I, I have to lift up my hands and get me and my problems off my mind and just magnify the goodness, the grace, the love, and faithfulness of my God. Worship is really more for you than the Father. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this barren, dry, dusty wilderness that we and our animals should die? Well, this second question lets you know that the children of Israel had, had really lost confidence in Moses' decision-making process. And, and if you know the story, it really wasn't Moses' fault here. Uh, you know, they, they, they wandered for 40 years, not because of Moses, but because they refused to believe the two out of the ten spies that came back with a good report. But people are always looking for somebody to blame. And that, that's the challenge of leadership. If you're a leader, you, you, you know, you're a convenient sort. You're a convenient person to blame for the problem and the crisis. Verse 5. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt? Now watch this. To bring us to this evil. To this what? Evil place. They weren't now just questioning his decisions. Now they're really impugning and questioning his motives. This quickly got very, very, very personal. They called the place that Moses led them, what? Evil. Meaning that, you know, you had some malicious intent. Man, you, 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 you got a problem, Moses. And it got real personal. And Moses, you know, uh, uh, some things rise up in him in, in, in a few verses, but we'll get there. It's not a place of grain or figs. No vines, no pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Moses, this is not what we signed up for. And I understand both the perspective of Moses here, but I also understand the frustration of these, these, these young people. They were tired of crisis. They were tired of, of, of dealing with shortage and lack, and, and they were frustrated. But it was Moses' job as their leader to deal with this matter and, and calm them down and move them forward. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And you know what? It's not easy being a leader, but if salt loses saltiness, it's good for nothing. Jesus said the only thing you should do with it is trample it on the ground. Meaning if you are in a position of influence and power, but you don't use it for righteousness, what's the point of you being there? So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. So far, so good. He's doing what he's done in the past, and he's not overreacting, but he takes the complaint to who? God. And that's very important. And the glory of the Lord honored what Moses was doing and, and appeared to them. And when you really bring your burdens to the Lord, God will make a way out of no way. He's just that kind of God. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the rod. Now, this rod Moses used when he parted the Red Sea. He struck the Red Sea, and what did it do? It opened. 
Also at Horeb, when, when the people were thirsty, he, he, he took the rock, hit, he, I'm sorry, hit the, he took the uh, rod, took the rock. Boy, he took the, he took the rock. No, he took the rod. Thank you. And hit the rock and the water gushed out to relieve the thirstiest life. Thank you for your help. But the point is, Moses had a long, illustrious, and successful history with this rod. But his past is actually about to get in the way of his future. God said, take the rod. Moses, take the staff of your office. But I need you to listen very carefully to my instructions. God is speaking to his man. You and your brother Aaron gather together my people and speak. What did it say? Speak Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Now, in Exodus 17, God told Moses to do what? Strike or hit the rock. But the question was, Would Moses be humble enough to change his approach at God's direction? You know, I've I've heard it said about the dinosaurs, the reason why the dinosaurs aren't here anymore is because they wouldn't adapt. When the weather changed, they did not change with the weather. Now, I don't know, you know, uh, scientists say different things every 10 years, a different story about what happened to the dinosaurs. But the short of it is they're not here because they couldn't adapt to new circumstances. And as grand as the church's message is, if our methods do not adapt to the times, the church will find itself just like those dinosaurs, even in America, extinct and out of function and service. You'll only see us in the museums. Y'all like the first service, but I'm going to preach myself happy. 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, gives us a little further insight. He says by the Holy Spirit, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to become unaware that all your fathers, the the Israelites, they were, they were all under the cloud. And they were speaking of the glory cloud that covered them by day. And they all passed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, at the Red Sea, the Israelites escaped from captivity or slavery and stepped into freedom out of bondage. And what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, that that sea in the old covenant represents baptism today. And in, in baptism, it's really the same picture, and the Bible goes into some detail about it, but we go under the water to die to slavery to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We, we, it's a barrier. We, we go under, and we, 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 we're saying, you know what, we're no longer who we used to be. I'm no longer a slave to sin. And we come up out of the water free and alive to God. And that's what baptism was. And he said the Red Sea was an Old Testament picture. They all ate the same spiritual food. 
He's talking about the manna that came down from heaven. It was miracle and wonder food, but it pointed to Jesus, the bread of life, who likewise came up out of heaven. Now, you know, it wasn't because uh, uh, a man grew it or, or a man made Jesus happen. It was all God's design. God released his word. Christ became a human being, and he came down to the earth. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, again, Paul is showing us Old Testament shadows. And he's saying all of these things pointed to Christ. For they drank of that spiritual rock. So he's already making that rock analogous to spiritual things. He's calling the rock spiritual and says it followed them. And then he gets really clear. And that rock was who? Christ. So in God's mind, now everything in the Old Testament was written pointing to the Messiah that would come. Everything. Whether it's the tabernacle, whether it was the Garden of Eden, all of that pointed to Jesus and his coming to planet Earth. So when God spoke to Moses and said, speak to the rock, that rock represented something more than Moses ever realized. And some of your behaviors, you're like, what's the big deal? That represents something more than you ever imagined in God's mind. Now, in Exodus 17, God instructed Moses to hit the rock. Why? Because the Messiah, when he would come, would be struck. He would be smitten. He would be crushed on a rugged cross. But only once. When Moses chose to hit the rock again, instead of speaking to the rock, it was like crucifying the Son of Man afresh. You see, after the resurrection, you can't touch Jesus. The only thing you could do with the Master is appeal to him. You can speak to him, but he will never be beaten again. The next time he comes, he comes as a resurrected king. He comes riding a horse with, with a, a sword coming out of his mouth. He comes as one seated at the right hand of God the Father. All power and authority in his hand, and we will never beat him again. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they, they fell on their faces, and I'm in the wrong place. I'm just doing that today. Verse 9, Numbers 20. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the what? Rock. And watch what he says to him. Hear now, you rebels. Yeah. Parents, you understand the tone here, right? After 40 years of ministry, Moses was tired. His sister who saved him from uh, Pharaoh's killing of the babies had just died. There's probably some grief going on and on top of that, the new generation is acting a fool just like the old generation. But Moses here makes a major mistake. 
And we, we, we all tend to make, well, we can make this mistake if we're not careful. He started focusing on the people's wrong instead of focusing on God's clear directions. And, and what people do to you does not excuse what God told you to do. Here now, you rebels. He's ticked off. He's upset. We have to be vigilant against letting people's misbehavior define our own. Letting what other people do get so deeply under our skin that, that, that it causes us to do immoral things. Someone's misconduct does not absolve me from my responsibility to do what God told me to do. I don't care what your husband did, what your wife did. I don't care what the guy on the street did. You are responsible for you. Watch Moses here. Must we bring water for you? Moses is making a tragic mistake here. He's acting like, you know, uh, he and Aaron were the power behind the miracles. Here's something I learned. God doesn't need my help. Matter of fact, God could not use me until I learned this lesson. God does not need my help. He needs my obedience. He doesn't need my good ideas. He doesn't need my, the strength of my personality. All God needs is for me to do what he said. That it. That is it. Y'all just like the first service, dear God. I love you anyway. You're thinking, I know that's what it's about. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? He, he lost his temper and he took matters in his own hands. It, anger has this hypnotizing effect on uh, human beings. It always causes you to go just a little bit too far. Anger always causes the overreach. You know, the statement was fine in your head. But by the time it came out of your mouth, it had a few extra four-letter words that you never, I mean, you, you never, you didn't intend for those words to come out of your mouth. And you end up talking about people's mothers, people's aunties, and people's cousins, and none of it was intended. But anger just has this capacity to make us say more than we are. I mean, you, you step on my toe, I'm going to break your leg. We just that way. And people criticize the Bible, and they say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, Moses said an eye for an eye. But you don't realize that in that day, that was a step up. Because if you just took a piece of corn off of my land, I, they would shoot you. I didn't have guns, but they would stab you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was, you hurt me, I will get you good, and I'll kill your sister. So Moses said, we got, we got to check this. The consequences need to be uh, uh, commensurate with, with, with the deeds. Then Jesus came and took it a step further. And the New Testament's harder than the Old Testament. Don't, don't be deceived. Moses said, an eye for an eye. He knock you an eye, you knock him in the other. And then that's fair. But Jesus said, I'm talking about turning the other. Jesus! 
but it, you got to trust God that he's going to protect that other tree. Then Moses lifted his hand. It's funny how anger can so quickly take us back. You know, I've been out of New York for over 20 years. Get me mad enough, though, all of a sudden my New York accent is right back. And when I start talking with an accent in my house, everybody walks into other rooms. But don't just look at me all crazy like I'm the only one. Some of y'all ladies, 20 years off the block, 20 years. But just one incident, you corn rolling your hair, putting Vaseline on your face, putting on your sneakers. That's right. Your husband grabbing you, acting like Candy and Nina on the good, what is it? The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Women that are millionaires acting a fool. But anger just has a way of taking you back. Listen, anger ain't always wrong now. There's a place for righteous indignation. There's a place for anger, but the Bible said in your anger don't sin. That's one of those emotions you have to be very, very careful about. Because it has this tendency to go too far. It has a tendency to say too much and to overreach. So when you're angry, sometimes you got to learn to just... That's why the Bible said, be still and know I'm God. The Derek Greer translation is, shut up and let God handle your situation. Verse 11. Then Moses lifted... His hand. You see, by default, he went back to what he used to do. He used to hit rocks. Now, God told him to speak to the rock, but, but he, by default, he, it just somehow takes you back. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.